Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Joanna Bucknell and you're listening to episode 12 of Tate. That's T-A-I-T, which is short for Talking About Immersive Theatre. Now, this episode marks Tate's first year anniversary, which is very exciting. And over the last year, I've been getting out and about, chatting with all kinds of immersive theatre folk. And I've had the pleasure of visiting lots of different immersive sites and venues. So, without further ado, I will let you get your teeth into this very special birthday episode. Please enjoy. So, I'm here in the vaults in London with Becky Brown, Oscar Blustin from Specific. Is it Specific or Specific? Nope, Specific. Specific, yep. Can we not be Specific? Nope. <laughs> we reserve yep. that for our continental work. Yep. Yeah, 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 you should do. And Dean Rogers as Hello. well. Hello. So, hi everybody. Hello. and Thank you for being here. Uh, so Becky and Oscar, can I just start with you guys? Uh, so Specific was founded in 2011. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Good. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and since then, you've made uh, a range of different type of work. But can you tell us a little bit about what kind of makes you unique and how you sort of came about, really, as a company? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> uh, I think the company started originally as a um, uh, a way of telling true stories uh, in the places where those stories originally happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were fascinated by the history of buildings. Uh, I think especially I spent a lot of time uh, working in the States before sort of coming back to the UK full time. And there just isn't over there the same history in buildings and places and uh, sort of streets, especially living somewhere like London where, you know, the pavement's been around for yeah. hundreds of years. We kind of take buildings. it for granted here, don't we? Because it's Absolutely. just all around us, everywhere you go, even in villages, it's kind of you've got buildings that are three, four hundred yeah. years old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that, that taking it for granted thing was really the first uh, incentive. I think I was wandering around uh, my university and just thinking, watching sort of us all wander past these amazing buildings and mm. no one looking up, no one kind of acknowledging or thinking about how long things have been around for. Um, so we came up with a way of telling stories that would introduce audiences to the building itself uh, and use that building as a character within any story that we'd tell. Um, so a lot of the stuff was originally was history-based and was um, yeah focused on bringing these sort of stories from history to life. Okay, great. And uh, how did you two kind of meet? How did you sort of come together? So we both worked for Theatre Delicatessen yeah. um, at their wonderful Marleybone Gardens on Marleybone High Street. Um, we met actually at something that has now <laughs> the predecessor to uh, the gunpowder plot. So um, we were having what I called creative chitty chatty. Yes, I'm sticking that in there. <laughs> um, we, we were having one of those and Oscar just happened to come in to discuss a project that he was working on. And from that, we worked on heist together. Um, and he hired me to, uh, to do uh, Giants of Old at Harrow School and hasn't been able to get rid of me since then, pretty much. That is exactly how it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Dean, uh, you've worked as a co-director, producer, designer on projects such as The Crystal Maze, uh, Time Run and Heist. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that there is... Yeah, uh, overlap there. Overlap there. <laughs> and um, you went to Trinity College and Central as well, is kind of uh, mm-hmm. your background. Can you tell us how you came to this sort of route to be involved in kind of a massive work? Um, yeah, so I came, I, I was making theatre in Dublin with like, I was making lots of different kind of stuff with no specific sort of angle on things. Yeah. Um, just trying lots of different plays and lots of different ways. Uh, and I sort of came over here um, to do the Masters at Central with a view to finding out what as an artist did I want to say, what kind of work did I want to make. Uh, and immediately as soon as I came over here I became fascinated by immersive work. I thought it was um, 
I thought it was just the the absolute route forward for theatre. A lot of my my work in uh, in in Dublin and a lot of my writing in university was about Augusta Boal, and um, so I find interaction and I find yeah. audiences playing the most interesting yeah. things in theatre. Yeah. So very quickly over my master's year, I got I, I saw lots of great immersive shows. I think one that inspired me quite a lot was a show by a company called Half Cut, um, which was called Shelf Life, and you went through like the audience member went through like a whole life in the course of the show. So you started mm-hmm. as a sperm in a giant, uh, <laughs> it going through a giant vagina. And you yeah, finished yeah. it. You finished it um, being euthanized um, <laughs> in an old care home. Um, so shows like shows like that set um, really made me feel like this is what theatre should be. The audience should be yeah. playing on their feet, engaged. Um, from there, I worked with a company called Difference Engine um, to create Heist, which the guys spoke about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was we took over we took over the Marlebone Gardens building that these guys mentioned, and we got the audience to commit a robbery. Um, and that. <laughs> <laughs> was just the most fun and like I still today one of the most interesting shows I've ever worked on uh-huh. um, and that kind of got a lot of attention and, and opened a lot of doors for me yeah. um, and from there I went to work um, on Time Run which is a hyper real hyper real adventure game I believe is I think it's, it's meant so it's meant yeah, to be like yeah. a next level um, escape the room game but with like characters and yeah. a story and stuff like that uh, and I got very interested in gameplay and very interested in escape games so now the work I make is sort of a, an immersive theater live game hybrid Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as is evidenced by, like, say, for example, the Crystal Maze, which yeah. is a huge um, immersive experience. I'm, I'm pretty sure none of the audience who walk through our doors ever call it theatre, but it is useful yeah. to have that in the back of our heads. Well, I'm going to bring us back to some of these projects that you've mentioned now to mm-hmm. talk about in a little while, and I'm also going to bring us back to talk about that kind of term immersive as well, because mm-hmm. I've kind of done that with everyone, and it's in some ways a really liberating term and a really problematic one, so I'll kind of I'll bring us back to that. So um, I'm a little bit interested in the fact that you got involved once you came over to London so would you say that that kind of immersive scene isn't really happening at the moment in sort of Ireland and in Dublin or is it very London centric still? I think it's still very London centric I mean I I still go over to Dublin quite a lot and the theatre scene in Dublin is very very active um, but there's no one is still to this day really doing anything like what we're doing here and I find that fascinating Mm. um, because it's 40 minutes away uh, so it's very strange that, that yeah. stuff isn't happening there, that hasn't caught on there. I think it's to do with a lot of things. I think it's, I think it's, I, very boringly, I think it's a lot to do with economics. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And space as well, to some respects. And yeah. I, what you guys think about this as well, in terms of talking about space mm. and the different contexts you've worked mm-hmm. in. I've had lots of questions recently from people kind of emailing me from the United States asking for uh, reading about this because they don't really have any access to that but also asking about what's going on in, on continental Europe is it just London and I get these kind of questions all the time and I wondered what your perspective kind of was on is this really a London thing because that's where the money is because that's where the space is or is it starting to bubble up in different forms elsewhere I think it is going I think um, for me things are still I mean of course like year by year uh, it gets less so, but it feels to me that immersive work is still fairly embryonic uh, in the States. There are plenty of sort of, of small scale, really lovely small scale experiences springing up around the place. Yeah. And then there are the sort of beer moth like um, shows like Sleep No More and, um, Absolutely, yeah. uh, and other bits and pieces, Third, third Rail, um, yep. the, the Alison One, Then yeah. She Fell. Um, yes, which is, I went to yeah, see that in New York, I love that show. Just, it's, it's just beautiful. Just beautiful. Work. <laughs> um, so there are a couple of kind of standout things, and then there have been other things like Queen of the Night over there, which was similar, I think uh, had yeah. some producers in common with Sleep No More that have run you know, well and 
busily for a while, uh, but not really kind of taken root. Well, in New York, from some of the people that I've mm. spoken to, it seems to be coming out of a slightly different space over there. And there seems to be a lot of cabaret, and it seems to be coming out of that cabaret mm. nightclub scene rather than kind of coming out of the sort of theatre yeah, scene, absolutely. which is what's happening here. And some of the things I've heard about on the continent seem to be coming out of that much more live art performance art space and are driven by kind of slightly different sort of intentions and agendas so but I think London is still very much the home of kind of immersive theatre. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of that has to do with quite dull things like uh, zoning laws in the states and you know, other things that just yeah, make it absolutely. so hard to get into a space and repurpose it for performance. Whereas and union laws as well are yeah, much stricter exactly. in the states. Yeah, and uh, context as well because um, I'm based in Portsmouth which isn't that far away it's like 70 miles away but the willingness to let people use spaces like this to let people co-opt spaces for short periods of time to do this kind of work just isn't the same as I think it is here. I think it's growing. I, one of the guys that's working on this show with us, Martin Cote, <coughs> he has um, a friend of his has just opened a new venue that's doing this style work in Bristol yeah. and it's very exciting and kind yeah. of but there, again it is driven more from a cabaret sense because all of it has to have live music and kind of that kind <coughs> of yeah. club night but it's the kind of pushing the boundaries of theatre into that and making yeah. it take over and, and story being the centre of everything, uh, which is what's very exciting about the kind of work that we're pushing, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think so. I think the thing that we a lot of our work now sort of has in common is this idea of putting the audience at the centre of a story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that, weirdly, will sort of drive everything else. And I think that yeah. hasn't yet taken root uh, in the States. Yeah. Um, but I think with that, if that comes first, then a lot of other things sort of yeah. uh, can fit into place in places like London and now, thankfully, regionally as well. And mm. there's some I great contexts, aren't there, sorry, that are popping up. I mean, the Volks has always kind of given this sort of access to kind of non-traditional theatre spaces mm. and BAC as well are doing that. And there are other spaces around London. And I think until those sorts of spaces start popping up, I and mean, we're very fortunate in the UK because we have that kind of uh, funding subsidy mm. context here, which I don't think necessarily is the case elsewhere. Go on, sorry. No, I was just going to say, um, Oscar made a point there about putting the audience at the centre of the work, and I would say, um, I'll just echo that that's the thing I find to be unique about the immersive theatre here. Yeah. And I think that is very much the, the, the aspect of it that we're trying to push mm -hmm. um, in the, this next phase of immersive theatre's life, yeah. following, following Punch Drunk. And I think that's taking a lot of cues from gameplay and stuff like that. And I think okay. it'll be interesting to see how that takes hold yeah. and how, how audiences react to that because it's certainly been the experience in our work that that is the thing that, that draws people to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen that anywhere else and I haven't seen that spread anywhere yeah. else. I think the Arts Council and sort of funding thing is so crucial to uh, letting artists put an audience at the centre of a thing and I think yeah. one of the reasons again why America is, uh, is a couple of years behind is that uh, there's such so much more commercial emphasis, and you just Absolutely. if you do put an audience at the centre, it becomes immediately harder to yeah. make anything, you know, make any kind of money um, out of anything. Um, I mean, there are still those pressures here. I remember the same. We make one-on-one -on -one mm. work, which mm. becomes unfeasible to, to put in any kind of theatre space so we always have to be aside something else or in that other other cupboard or mm. toilets or other space that they can kind of still make money with the bums on seats and that is a big difficulty as well I think even even here in the subsidised mm. sort of sector it's still difficult to get producers to persuade them mm. that that's a kind of viable moving forward so we're always under pressure to upscale <clears throat> well, we are yeah. we are in a struggling public sector now. Yeah, at the of moment. course. Like, yeah, of course we are. <laughs> it's you know it's not all rosy. I don't, I don't. I worry. I worry that this said public sector will be gutted in the successive Tory governments we're about to have. Um, yeah. And I think it, what it's done is, I mean, I work 
across the sector and of course in HE and I'm finding that more and more there's there has to be that symbiotic relationship between HE and between the cultural industries because because of that gradual kind of erosion now of those sort of public funds and the subsidy that's coming and I think HE is quite open to sort of helping to support and nourish some of that and I know we've opened up our spaces when we're not in there to other people saying come and develop work and that sort of thing so I think again we have that really close relationship with practice in our HE environment which again doesn't happen mm-hmm. outside of the UK necessarily either so I think there's all these kind of pressures that sort of bring to bear on that. Um, let me bring you back to talk about some of your um, previous work. I know you mentioned lots of it earlier but I'm going to kind of start to pick on some of those bits so specifics early work as you said earlier, seems very much to be rooted in that sort of site-specific kind of approach to place and site and space and giving sort of inside access to those histories and to those stories. Can you talk a little bit about some of that early work? So um, the Black Staircase, for example, that you did at Durham Castle or Giants of Old that you did at Harrow. Can you talk a little bit more about those projects and what they were like and yeah. what they involved? The, uh, the Durham one was, was a total sort of baptism of fire and there's a there was at the time a wonderful um, heritage site coordinator who was looking after the, the sort of UNESCO site up there, who was incredibly forward-thinking and was looking to find a way of letting university students gain professional experience and also find a sort of dynamic way of getting the public in to view the site that was otherwise basically out of bounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, uh, yeah, he, he gave us our first commission, uh, which was to, it was at Halloween time, uh, and so it was always going to be a slightly darker piece. Unfortunately, the history of Durham Castle is is checkered, to say the least. Absolutely. Uh, and so we, yeah, we found a whole load of completely true ghost stories. Uh, <laughs> which, um, uh, and there were sort of various accounts in the archives of the of Durham Castle, yeah. uh, which we took from and um, led our audience on a on a multi-stranded sort of romp around the building. Um, I think we used 24 spaces, and at its sort of broadest, the show had eight simultaneous scenes running in different rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, the audience were guided; they weren't free roaming, uh, which is something that we've sort of mixed and matched with throughout. I think all of our work is yeah. at, at yeah. points free roaming, at points led or guided. Um, but it was sort of a choice-based promenade thing, um, okay. where you, you you sort of picked a character to stick with at certain times, and you could mix and match between storylines. Uh, okay. And there were three interweaving uh, time periods. There was a, a sort of a modern time period, I think a 46 time period, and an 1812 uh, time period. And each of these uh, storylines sort of wove through and um, really filled the space. Uh, there were some lovely little sort of magic tricks and things, which I think in a, in a building as rigid and as sort of stony as Durham Castle is, yeah. was re- it was a, such a fun way of um, making, uh, of really drawing our attention to the physical surroundings which I think well, I was going to ask you about that because there are challenges aren't there that come with working with sites like <laughs> that because you <laughs> yep <laughs> you can't drill or fix or do any of those things so how have you kind of managed sort of working around sort of being sympathetic to those sites but also trying to sort of maintain that immersed space I think the, um, the I'd say it sort of breaks down into two sides there's the design side yeah where like yes you can't you can't do anything to anything basically no. and it becomes <laughs> mainly about like very careful positioning of people uh, and sort of yeah. trying to at all points encourage people to face away from the ugly bits um, and yeah. uh, you know strategic lighting yeah yeah and well yeah strategic battery, shadow yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, battery lighting yeah. Yeah. But the second thing is just the practicalities of running a show in a space like that yeah um, so we spend I mean so much of our practice I think I probably speak on behalf of all of us is about like radios just using radios yeah. to navigate mm-hmm. a space and 
Um, for me, the thing that none of us talk enough about is the role of the show caller in immersive theatre, which yeah. is very different from a stage manager in, in um, traditional theatre. That just and uh, that it requires a, a sort of a three-dimensional skill set um, in a way that I don't think many other um, types of theatre sort of require. But to be able to yeah. be on top of multiple audiences moving simultaneously through different mm -hmm. spaces and coordinate that movement is something that is increasingly uh, a skill set that we all rely on. Mm, but it's also uh, the other dimension of the show caller role, which is, uh, I think, increasingly fascinating the work we make, is the artistic choices they often end up having to make. Mm -hmm. Because they, so they, they, they sort of become a quasi stage manager, live director. Yeah, um, absolutely. A little bit, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's the most comparable thing is, 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 is like a showrunner on, on a live TV show or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's interesting because um, when I was talking to Leon Fonce and they're the first people I spoke to, they said that Alice was, every room was absolutely timed and if it was wrong, the room just carried on, regardless, and just pushed forward. So all the lighting, all of the sound cues, everything was on a fixed timer and we're just... We try and avoid... Yeah, yeah we try yeah. and avoid fixing things. I mean, it depends on absolutely. the show. We did all just work on a show where everything was timed like yeah. that. Yeah, and everything was timed like that for the Crystal Maze. Yeah. And everything was timed like that for the Resident Evil project that we all just worked on as yeah. well. But in general, for our work, we also don't use QLab and things because we're in a site where we're not installing lots of lights exactly, and we're working yeah. with limitations yeah. in that front. So, yeah, Giants of Old... Uh, was me running around with a rucksack from room to room, checking that things were ready and preset uh -huh. in the three different buildings we were using across the site. Um, but yeah, it gets, I find because of the work that we make and being driven with the audience, having agency and all that kind of stuff, as soon as you put it on a timed Q-Lab, yeah. it can't be that style of work because you no, never exactly. know what an you audience get, is gonna do. Exactly. And I'm sure you're gonna get onto Heist in a minute, but yeah. I mean, by the end of that one, we had something like 23 different endings. Yeah, I mean, I change the number every time I say yeah, this. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> but it was certainly lots. Yeah. Um, I think we are as far as ending Q. So what's Q in the alphabet? Oh, oh it must be. Uh, it's it's 18, less, yeah. 17, Eight, 17, 18. Yeah, That's right. like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, My maths is yeah. not that good. Which we wouldn't have been able to do if everything was set to a queue and timed in that kind of no, sense. Exactly, because you exactly. just need to be flexible and on, yeah, able to think on your feet and adapt to the audience's needs. And in my experience, tech is always the first thing that lets you down. <laughs> so I would feel terrified relying kind of on tech in that kind of way. And we're the same, our work is, you have to respond to the people that you've got in that space. And if you give them that agency, I think you need to be flexible and to be able to respond to that. But it is a huge logistical challenge. And I think a lot of this work is becoming a lot more about thinking about mechanics, thinking about logistics of how you maneuver people safely as well around those spaces, yeah. but also how you maneuver people in a way that doesn't break mm. that world. fictive world yeah. you've set up for them. We, we just actually finished a project working with uh, some students at Bath Spa University that had uh, originally, uh, uh, I think we assumed that we'd have I think one more room than we ended up having. Mm -hmm. And the consequence of uh, losing that room was that the, the kind of two minute fail safe that we'd built into the right. beginning and end of each scene was basically Gone. eliminated. And eight so, seconds once. Yeah, uh, and so we ended up yeah clearing a room out of one door, I think eight seconds before a full audience needed to come in through wow. another. Which is just <laughs> the hairy moments, but actually to be honest, that's the most, you know, the most fun thing yeah. about running yeah. a show like that is Exactly. is when it does feel like an oiled machine, like the building is just living and things are, mm -hmm. um, are 
perfectly on time as they sort of move around. Well, it's that liveness, isn't it? I think that people crave as well. Is Absolutely. that really feeling visceral and in the moment, living that, living through that moment? I think, what well, for me as an audience, that's what excites me. Those moments when I get to make choices and I really feel like I'm living it and I find that exciting. So you all worked on Heist. Do you want to tell me about that piece of work and then how it kind of brought you guys sort of together? <laughs> I'm okay. assuming it did here. <laughs> I mean, it certainly did. Um, so Heist was a concept that um, myself and myself and a company called Difference Engine came up with. And effectively what happened with that show is we wanted to make a very small scale, uh, very reduced um, experimental show where the audience uh, stole something uh, and we took this to we took this to theatre delicatessen and they were like we're being kicked out of our building in a month in two months do you want to just have the building to do it and we were like yeah <laughs> so instantly it scaled up quite a bit uh-huh. um and then tickets went on sale uh and they sold out instantly i know which, i couldn't get one yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously so, and, and all of a sudden this very experimental show that we were kind of just making to see if it worked yeah. suddenly had huge stakes suddenly there were lots of press coming and they were sold oh, out God. and we were not ready uh, uh enter becky um and becky fixed everything and made the show work um okay. uh, and that's that's how it ended up working on on, on in time for opening nights. Uh, that building which was supposed to um stop after after two months, we ended up keeping for a subsequent nine months, uh-huh. um, and we, we ran the show in there day in day out. Oscar was running the building at the time. Yeah, it's actually what it's just saying that so much of what we do and the fact that we know each other is actually down to Theatre Delicatessen. Mm-hmm. And more or less all of the companies that are involved with uh, the Meath, the project we're currently working on, uh, we are all more or less, apart from I think one, uh, are all in the same room because of Theatre Delicatessen and because of their their, wonderful kind of umbrellaing and championing of companies uh, producing this sort of non-traditional work. So I think we all owe a huge amount to them and their buildings of which there are more thankfully springing up around the place now. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding this more and more actually the more and more people I talk to there are little pockets of either HE institutions or specific venues or specific kind of production Mm -hmm. that have sort of these things are bubbling out of which I think is, is really interesting. Um, so last year, am I right, is that the first time you started to work with the Vaults Festival and you did a piece for the audience that were waiting. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Because that seems to be a little bit of a shift when things really shifted away from potentially that kind of historical site work that you were doing and into uh, kind of something slightly different. So can you tell me sort of how you got there and what that shift yeah. sort of meant for you guys? I think with every theatre company, uh, you reach a point where you realise that the expensive thing are the actors. And uh, <laughs> yes. it seems sort of wise to try and come up with some format of storytelling that doesn't involve them. Yes. Um, uh, we'd be doing a lot of work and spending a lot of time with Difference Engine, um, who we've all talked about, who are, have a real emphasis on the tech side of things yeah. um, and have incredible skill sets sort of down that avenue. Um, we are slightly more limited than them in our, cap- in our technical capabilities, <laughs> but um, certainly enjoy that side of things. And yeah. I've spent a lot of time over the last sort of 10 years trying to get better at things like um, graphic and web design and yeah. as a result of uh, this project some other um, more sort of audio and programming um, technical skills and so hearing things which was a project we devised for last year's Vault Festival was rooted in our same in a sort of core thing about telling stories based in spaces yeah. um, and uh, we wanted to uh, create something that while people were waiting for shows, while we were waiting in the bar and queuing, and um, 
uh, and generally sort of loitering at the festival, we thought it would be fun to find an opportunity to tell some of the stories of the physical space that they were in. Yeah. So we commissioned, I think, eight writers to just write sort of micro stories yeah. um, that were set in either in the vault or around Waterloo. Um, and uh, yeah, recorded them and created a basically a fairly simple interface um, that people could just sort of plug in, uh, access through their own phones. Um, great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so we didn't need any kit, uh, and then yeah, uh, and then play a thirty-second story that hopefully drew your attention to something that you hadn't noticed around mm -hmm. the space. So in a way, it's very—it's kind of driven by the same things that drove that kind of site. It's that kind of look up, look yeah. mm -hmm. about you. In that, I did um, a DIY thing with Lada, oh, quite a few years ago now. It must have been back in two thousand and ten. And I spent a weekend with the girls from Breathe Artists, and they did this whole thing about look up. And the fact that people never look up at these mm. old buildings, and that just kind of really stuck with me, and it kind of seems to resonate through all of this work. And it really is kind of, even though we're generating these kind of fictive spaces for people, actually, it's often about reframing and revisiting and re-noticing, yeah. isn't did, it? Those sites and spaces. Did you, you do work the thing in. that Museum of um, London, yeah, yeah. the audio tour that they made last no, year? I it was amazing, which was ex the kind of the exact same thing yeah. with two people going on separate but joint journeys it's just an audio audio experience but took you walking through London and was very much about getting you to look up and notice the other person and notice the places around mm -hmm. you which is quite exciting also that the Museum of London commissioned that it's and, and amazing because we spend so much from. of our time now looking down even more so I think yeah. with kind of our screen culture it's just constantly looking down so it's it's nice sometimes just to get the chance to look up <laughs> and look yeah. around and take a breath so you kind of come from quite a theatrical background, and so do you in, in some respects, but a lot of the work that you've done is much more based in this kind of performance game, and I think there's a lot more of this sort of cropping up. I wonder if you could talk a bit more about some of the past work that you've done in terms of that more performance game, escape room sort of based, and how that sort of brings and informs what you're doing. Yeah, so, I mean, effectively, if we go off just what Oscar was saying there about the actors being the most important thing, I very much see escape games as the answer to that problem. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Because to me, an escape game is just an immersive experience where I've gone, no actors in this one. Mm -hmm. um, my, my work is, all, is always about the audience as a player, as the protagonist. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my personal interests uh, come from video games and board games. And a lot of my practice comes from actually uh, my experiences playing tabletop role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff Absolutely, like that. Yeah. So that's the kind of world I try to create for my audience. And I think you can create that world with actors, with a story, uh, or you can create it with a set and with games and stuff like that. And I kind of use them both interchangeably. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's as hard a distinction between um, theatre and, and games as the rest of the um, world likes to think there is. I agree. Um, I've yeah. had a lot of people go to some of my experiences going, ah, but that wasn't theatre, and saying other oh, things are definitely theatre. And I, I don't know how other people draw such a hard line when I don't. I agree. I think performance as well is a useful way of bridging. I went to a, um, a conference last year at Exeter, and actually there were lots of PhD students there who are doing exactly that, in, involved, they're coming directly from the gaming, mm -hmm. they've got their undergraduates and everything in game design and coding and all of that, but they're coming to this kind of live space and bringing those skills that they have with them. And I think that's really interesting. People gave some extremely interesting papers and I thought, uh, I really need to uh, increase my knowledges of that kind <laughs> of thing. Because our work is the same, we use games and rules and tasks, but it's that kind of non-tech sort of reliance on mechanic and the way that rules and tasks operate to engage somebody in an actual act of doing something. And I think technology is going to open up 
But at the moment, um, we've got a lot of pressure on HE with this kind of joy of use VR, use VR. And we're like, okay, but you need to give us some space to play, some space to think about how we can integrate that in a meaningful way in our practice, because just the tech on its own isn't just exciting. It's what we might think to do with it or mm-hmm. creatively do with it. But it's having to gain all those new skill sets, isn't it? Exactly like you're saying, of training to learn how to deal with all these technologies and use them. Because until you're kind of fluent in that language, it's really hard to then apply it, I think. So you've all, I know you've got to rush off yeah. in a minute, so I just wanted to kind of ask you, so we are here at the vaults and you've got um, the Neath opening tonight. Now, I know this is always a nightmare, isn't it, with this kind of work, because you <laughs> want to talk about it, but you can't say too much because you don't want to give too much away. But by the time this goes out, I think everything will be over. So you don't have to worry too much, unless, of course, you're hoping to expand. <laughs> That's always the worry, isn't it? So um, tell us as much as you can about the Neath and what your kind of hopes are for tonight and what you've done to work towards tonight. So the Neath was born out of uh, me realising that the Vaults Festival deadline for applications was 24 hours from when I was looking at my screen. Uh, and we had been talking about an entirely different project. And I and um, we basically pitched the idea of doing sort of like an immersive showcase with lots of different companies. Yeah. Um, at the time of pitching, we didn't have a theme. We didn't really know what it is. Um, <laughs> And sort of over the devising process of the last few months, we've arrived at this idea of it being like a bar for supernatural creatures mm-hmm. and the landlord is the devil himself. Um, and that's that's sort of the core idea, the core prompt <coughs> that we gave the companies to then work with. So companies like Difference Engine, uh, like Lab Collective, who were also in Marylebone yeah. Gardens with us, uh, Martin Coate, who Becky mentioned, uh, Sarah Morris, who works with Apocalypse Events, yeah. uh, and, a, and a director called Deirdre McLaughlin, who I worked with in Central. Um, I've all gone off and created lots of different immersive, uh, small immersive interactions that we've then fitted together with a larger narrative. Can you talk a bit more about? Yes. <laughs> have I said all the things? Uh, I think so. Um, again, we've put the audience at the centre of uh, the show. It's slightly more game-based, actually, than some of our other stuff. Uh-huh. The storyline is probably... Um, I'd say we, we probably meet halfway. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think we... Uh, yes, uh, the thing is sort of shaped around. How can I say this without being too irritatingly cryptic and also just? <laughs> I mean, if it goes out, a- if it goes out after the. Yeah, but they're seeing the show tonight. Can yeah, we, we are. We are. We are, we are, are really coming tonight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. There's a. There's a, there's a yeah, things in the air. There's a. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's a bar. Surely that's enough to keep you. There's a bar, and there is a challenge you are being issued. So, so the whole show hinges on this challenge that that is set to you by the devil character. Well, um, that is enough for me. That's yeah. always it's <laughs> an exciting enough proposition to get me to come along. So, <laughs> and of course, I've seen the bare bones when, yeah. when oh, I come yeah. to find you. So that's quite exciting. Now, uh, Dean and Oscar, you have to leave us, don't you? Because you need to go and actually get everything ready for tonight. But can I spend a yeah. bit more time yeah, with yeah, you, of Becky? That's great. So thank you so much no for problem. taking thank the time. Much, and um, I'll probably see you again much later on. Yeah, like yeah. four hours. Yeah, yeah exactly. Very, exactly. So thank you very much for giving us your your time. So um, one of the things we've been talking about is the joy of that is the fact that people have that kind of agency in that space and Mm. you're kind of giving them those choices. But are there any times, I always ask everyone this, do you have kind of horror stories? Are there times when people have behaved in really errant ways that have surprised you or challenged you? Absolutely. (laughs) So um, my 
background predominantly is in stage management, mm -hmm. somehow magically stumbled across that, um, and then came into show calling. And so Heist was my first immersive experience. Mm -hmm. I hadn't even been to an immersive experience wow. before okay. I did Heist. that's like baptism by fire. Yep. <laughs> it very much was so. Um, and so along the way, I've kind of come up, I've seen everything. Uh, so in Heist, we had these guard characters who were walking around, and obviously we've created such an amazing world that people did things that you're like, you're in a show, what are you thinking? So <laughs> there was once a chap who, um, there were some bricks lying around as part of the set decoration, and he thought it'd be in the world he could pick up the brick ah. and, and hold that as a weapon against a guard character, oh. which luckily we work with interactive performers who are, yeah, trained, who are trained and aware of this yeah. and, and the yeah. guy, the performer managed to talk him down and get out of that and then immediately we do another health and safety walk around and get rid of anything that could, yeah. could potentially be like that. <laughs> um, which is something that now I know about in every single show that I go into, you look around for elements like that and you think about, okay, when are we antagonizing people in a way that lead, helps the storyline and when do we need to be cautious about doing it because it lead, could lead it to could potential risks and stuff. Yeah. Well, the funniest one was definitely some people who decide they smashed one of the call points with the fire alarm system at Marleybone Dang Heist ah. and they were just like, oh, we were trying to distract the guards. <laughs> Like, but you're in a real world. This is a real thing. Yeah, this really means something. Um, so then you just, you know, you build into your your yeah. thing at the beginning that this is a real space. All the emergency protocols are real. Are real. Um, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's the paradox odd. that happens, isn't it, in this space? Because you are really there. You're really living it, even though you are taking up and uh, agreeing to participate in yep. this kind of fiction as well. But there is always that. That tricky, it's just such a blurred line. And we have to sit in that liminal space because yeah. that's how those things happen. That's yeah. how that transformational possibility of being able to sort of shift perspective and shift character happens. But it also then exactly causes problems yeah. with that as yeah. well. Those kind of real world things of, well, I'm in a transitional space where the normal rules don't apply. But do all the normal rules not apply? And so there's yeah. this, you have to constantly negotiate that paradox as an audience member, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it just, people when they get into this kind of, because we give them agency, they take on that in yeah, all its form. Yeah, you give them permission, yeah. absolutely. So, and yeah, it's just about, we work with amazing performers who manage to, to figure out, they, they're just so great, like Neil, who you'll see this evening, mm -hmm. uh, playing the devil, he was the lead, one of the, lead is not the right word because they were all the same level characters, but <laughs> he was the like the ringleader of the heist experience uh -huh, and uh -huh. just they just very quickly walk in a room and he can read how a person's going yeah. to behave and be able to turn to him, them and, and bring them down or build them up or whatever you yeah. need to do. And it's, as I'm sure you're aware in your own work, it's so important for an immersive performer, interactive performer, whatever you want to say, um, to be able to read people yeah. and to understand that. Well, it's a huge challenge because um, it's fine when we're working with our work, but when I'm teaching students, you know, second year yeah. undergraduate students, trying to give them those skills is actually very difficult because a lot of it comes with experience yeah, like definitely and life experience, experience. <laughs> yep. and having a sense of a certain kind of charisma mm -hmm. to be able to operate <clears throat> within those spaces and I haven't yet found the best way of being able to sort of train people to train do people yeah. to do that but it's such That's an infancy question. and I think there's about to be a special issue journal Oh, really? about training immersive performance so I'm really looking forward to that coming yeah. out because I'd love to see what other people's strategies have been yeah. for kind of engaging in Cause, that. Because so the specifics work that the kind that Oscar was talking about earlier, the kind of multi-stranded promenade stuff, mm. that you can easily teach people how to be physical in a space, how audience yeah. react when you walk towards them to get 
to usher them without looking like you're ushering and all of yeah, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. That's easy. It's the when you're actually speaking to them and interacting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting one. And it depends on the permission you, you offer as well because some of the work, especially immersive theatre work, tends to be within that fictive space. So yeah. often the stories are starting points and familiar to the mm -hmm. audience as well like Alice we we all know yeah. Alice we all know the Shakespeare stories that kind of create these starting spaces and sometimes the historical sites so we know a little bit about kind of the context that comes yeah. from that and um, we make live artwork and so we we offer an even more dangerous space because like you're you and I'm me and this is the real world but we're going to do this at this moment in this time so then trying to negotiate how anyone might behave in that space is almost yep. impossible. So I'm seasoned, I'm used to doing it, but then teaching that to my to, yep. students, it's just a case if they just have to play and have a go in a safe environment yeah. where it's an educational environment where they can sort of fail yeah. <laughs> at doing that. But yeah, I don't have good Yeah, I just, just, I'm just thinking about that from a stage, because even from a stage management point of view, so I'm, I'm really big on, at the moment, starting an education branch in specific um, and starting to teach stage managers and so all of yeah. our projects that we've been doing we've bringing been bringing on a student That's to have great. that experience yeah. with us so like for Miss Street the museum this big the project we did at the National Maritime Museum for Halloween last year it was a baptism of fire. I prepped them as much as they you can. <laughs> yeah, of course. But when you have 180 people who have done some shots of rum in the bar <laughs> before coming into the National Maritime Museum, it's free roaming across the entire yep. space. There's only so much you can <laughs> you can inform them, and you just have to find the right people, give them the pow the feel of um, that they have the power in the situation. Yeah, it's, an, a, it's a different way. agency, yeah. isn't it, to what the audience get? But it is an agency, it, yeah. kind of of being able to operate within that space with kind of confidence yeah. and knowing that you can manage and also the the key thing that I think is very difficult just I'm speaking about stage management because again that's my background no, but like the energy of a stage manager a good stage manager is normally very driven and very like focused and when they walk through a space on a mission you know they're walking through a space yeah. on the mission and I do an exercise with stage managers that's very dancey kind of stuff where we play with okay you can't let's look at how you're standing now in the space you've got you your weight's really square, you've got it all like that. Mm -hmm. Let's look at relaxing onto one leg because your energy in the space has to be entirely different because yeah. people will view you differently. We don't want to see you as a wall. You're a p p position of authority, but you're part of the environment it's as trust well. as well, isn't it? Yeah. There to be, there's a lot of trust that comes because people are relying on you for yeah. things to be and to happen at times when yeah. they need to And also to and not safety. stick out like a sore thumb. That's yeah. the thing, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm really interested if you can explain to the listeners a little bit a little bit more about what it means to call a show because no one has actually yeah. spoken to me about this before and I think it's a really interesting side that's not really talked about a great deal. So what does it mean to call an immersive show? Uh, it really depends on the piece. So mm. the key thing that, so I work with Difference Engine all the time um, and they normally set me up with CCTV. I also had CCTV at the Crystal Maze um, and I do a lot of radio juggling so it's really important for me on as many projects as possible to have audience, uh, performers on radio because they're quite often in spaces with audience in a situation where if anything goes wrong they need to know what's happening yeah. or if timings are changing like I said on Heist who knew what was going to happen I could communicate with them okay we're going with you know ending that Z ending or Z, whatever yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah so it's all we let's see which is the easiest show to start with um, I'll just do the crystal maze because that's kind yeah, of the absolutely. most basic one so we have a radio with performers a radio with front of house and a radio with all the backstage crew and it's just about 
watching what audience are doing on space, doing time checks and letting people know when we're about to move spaces. Um, I've set up a system, which I now use on all of the shows that I work on, of radio calls and dealing with, so we have a whole system of um, code names and code words for when we're dealing with people who are potential dickheads. <laughs> That's yep. my very academic yep. way to yep. say that. Absolutely. So like we, I actually train people now that when I say there's Johnsons in the house, they know that the energy has to be different and they know to keep an yeah. eye on them if they're stage management, etc. Um, you know, we use igloos and stuff for injuries and we have yeah. code names for when people are being aggressive and all of that it's kind of stuff. military it's like a yeah. military it's uh, absolutely operation like and i love it i love i the more radios i have in front of me and the more cctvs i have in front of me the happier i am because i love chaos and i like getting to control the chaos uh the resident evil thing that we just did was ridiculous and we had seven active audiences at a time well, people are in fear as well I and mean, when people are in fear people they are, behave yeah ridiculously ridiculously that yeah. one though was that one was controlled <laughs> like the q lab like alice though so okay, that okay. was escape the room game meets interactive performance yeah and every single room they couldn't leave until the eight minute window happened okay, okay. but then you also had to get them to leave in that eight yeah. after that eight minute yeah, window yeah, yeah. because there was a two minute reset before the next, before the next one absolutely um which is yeah was very stressful at points um <laughs> Because that's the other thing, isn't it? You've got to manoeuvre people without breaking the, the spell world. Yeah. that you've created, kind of holding up that world. But at the same time, holding up that world is actually a logistical yeah. task. Yeah, very logistical. <laughs> and lots of timings. I think we, it's always all about flowcharts and it's always knowing exactly where we are in time and, uh, and thinking about it. You don't have a script which I think is the biggest difference no. between show calling and stage management, is that stage manager at DSM sitting there, has a book, knows exactly every single day, I'm going to say go at this go time. At this I'm time, gonna, yeah. that time. And yeah. that is absolutely gone. <laughs> we have boxes and arrows, boxes yep. and arrows yeah, yeah. all our lives and times. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's all about all about hitting the key times or, you know, yeah. some days somebody will decide to do a, do a key line 20 minutes earlier than they're supposed to and so you have the ripple effect of that you have to figure out and you're like all right fine we got this it'll just all be fine yeah oh, yeah God. definitely oh we're just recording but that was hello beautiful. that's fine that's lovely sorry i just came some props delivered where do you want it all? shed please <laughs> get some food yeah thanks ed you're a rock star food and water yeah <laughs> So um, this term, I ask everybody about this, immersive, it's been kind of attached to an awful lot of things and yeah. covers a whole lot of ground and sort of tells us nothing at all. And I kind of wondered how you, especially beginning on sort of very site-based work yeah. and site-specific and that kind of promenade, how you feel about that term and how you feel it relates to your work? Uh, I don't think we're kind of moving away from using it. We mm. are doing, um, sorry, That's <laughs> We're starting to use interactive more, which even that is already feeling tainted. Immersive yeah. just feels like a word that you have to put on stuff to sell tickets. Yeah, um, it's very much become a producer's Absolutely, a producer's tool, a marketing yeah. tool, yeah. nothing. That it doesn't have any weight or sense to it because... Um, I mean, even in academia, it's still kind of seen as a cool thing. So yeah. that's why we're kind of holding on to it, but it... But it doesn't. It doesn't really. It doesn't mean, mean, and it, it doesn't so mean anything. <laughs> the gunpowder plot. We are going to have a discussion about this at some point because we're really interested in. We all make something that we put under this umbrella of yep. immersive, interactive, but all of our work is so incredibly different. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, well, everyone I've spoken to, everyone so far. I mean, this will be the it'll be twelfth episode next month. Zala's so spoken to twelve different yep. people. Um, yep. 
And every single one I've spoken to is completely different. They've come yeah. from completely different training backgrounds, completely different approaches and perspectives, but all resting under this under this publicity yeah. effectively title of immersive. Yeah. And um so yeah, so I, I kind of I feel it's awkward and I, I find it really problematic. And I think in academia, it's still really kind of the dominant term. And for yeah. me, that's a massive problem. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I agree. But and it's, it just comes down to we, the makers, now need to figure out what the next word is Absolutely. and make that the thing. Yeah. Um, but it's what audiences want. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? You need to connect with the correct audience. And at the moment, that word yeah. is the one that sells tickets. Is the one that, that, just, yeah. that tells them that they want to come see that. Yeah. Well, Again, all the language is so problematic. I find myself saying, I'm going to see a show. I'm not going to see a show. I never go and see a show anymore. Yeah. I go and play. Yeah. <laughs> but You're going to come drink in a bar, right? Yeah, we <laughs> don't have the language and the terminology yeah. quite yet to be able to kind of talk about this in the yeah. vernacular just to say, we're not going to see a show. We don't even make shows. We, yeah. we, we do, we're doing something else and immersive doesn't really help us. Yeah. With explaining it. or describing <laughs> that in any way. Yeah. But it, audiences connect with it. So yeah, at the exactly. moment, I suspect well, it's And audiences sometimes don't even connect with it. We, so we, the, t- the Time Out <laughs> blog that went out, which is absolutely lovely and wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Every single comment on it that we got on Facebook and stuff is all about the bar bit. <laughs> and it's nothing they... they <laughs> It just depends on your audience. I mean, they don't know what the term immersive means either, so they're just yeah. excited about the idea of a bar run by the devil. They have no idea what they're yeah. coming to. Yeah. We're going to see how they react <laughs> to the to what we're presenting them because it, it has quite a lot of theatrical elements. Um, but yeah, it's just it's such a word, a buzzword. And the rules are like. still being negotiated because some shows you'll see they're like, don't drink, don't yeah. take drugs before you come, otherwise you won't be admitted. But then others are centered around bars and things as well. And I think the moment people have had a drink as well, then it even further complicates yeah. those things. I mean, of course, for some people, what that does is it just means they can have a good time and they can kind of let go a little bit more than yeah. they normally would, which is great. But for other people, it can go too far as well. And I've been at shows where people have been ridiculously inebriated. And yeah. It's been really challenging for other audience members. Yeah. So I can't even imagine what it was like for the yeah, performers. We, I mean, we had that in Heist. We had one lady who, because of what she'd consumed before she came to see the show, after the first scene, was like, no, I'm not going, because she was so scared. But it wasn't really fear. It was just because of everything that she consumed, consumed before she arrived. Like, Absolutely. Oh, Lord. <laughs> um, and that was, that was one, of the, one of those audiences that you're like, they didn't know what they were coming to. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think like maybe you've got maybe one or two people in a group sometimes that will know and seek this kind of yep. work out, but we'll just bring all their Anybody, mates. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, my housemates are coming and they have no idea what they're coming to. They're like, oh, we'll, we'll be there early to help like make your bar look lively. I'm like, no, the, the bar's the, bar the is show. Lively. That is, that's the, what you're coming to. I get it from my family. Like, you never invite us to your shows. And I'm like, because you can't just sit in the dark for yep. two hours and watch. I'm not sure... For example, my grandma will appreciate some of the things that people have to do when they come. So that's that's why they never get an invite. But it's not because I don't love you. It's yeah. because I, I just don't think it's really kind my of fair. Pa- my parents saw the Christmas at Newton Park, which we did at um, Bath Spa University, and that was their first ever experience mm-hmm. of non-traditional theatre. Luckily, it was a nice, gentle baptism. Oh, that's good, a nice, gentle Because it was show. a you know, multi-stranded <laughs> promenade piece. It had oh, World great. War II... Uh, yeah, World War Two love stories oh, and nice suffragettes and all of that, that yeah. kind of stuff, and <laughs> they absolutely loved it and were gobsmacked by it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can't imagine them in this yeah. world. I mean, I, some <laughs> of the things I've been put through, I've been drenched, spat on, hurt, injured, all of those kind of. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what I do. I seek it all out. Yeah. So yeah, I've been really, to every. Really sell it. Every. <laughs> <person>. <laughs> But I love it, and yeah. it's really fun, and I keep coming back, so I don't know what that says about 
of me. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing I ask everybody about is this um, anxiety that I have, um, which is kind of really paradoxical, because as a maker, I'm only interested in that moment that happens between people who come into that space. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of that is it disappears and it's lost. Yeah. But as an academic and a cultural theorist, I am terrified that in 10 years' time, there's no going to be... I mean, of course, there's some photos, big, glossy photos of the big kind of companies. But outside of that, it's impossible to film in any meaningful way. You can get some still images, but do you think about documentation or does it not really... We actually just discussed this at the last gunpowder plot before this one, (laughs) uh, documentation, and not even just documenting for the actual experience happening with photos and all of that kind of stuff but, the making. but docu- yeah documenting it also but script wise I know yeah, and that yeah, kind yeah. of because we yeah, can't we can't yeah. sell scripts you know 20 yeah. years time you can't buy a script exactly and what all, we're and, doing and one of the and we're also discussing in the sense of um, making our businesses uh, actually viable you want to be able to write something that somebody else is Can then going to be able to pick up absolutely, and do absolutely yeah um, so because that's how it, that's how it will perpetuate in culture yeah. is by being re-performed yeah. by people and, and making you know making the amateur <laughs> version of heist where a bunch of kids can do it in their school <laughs> or something school. ridiculous but that has yeah. to be the future yeah. because that's the only viable absolutely. future and it's the only way to preserve the yeah. legacy of that work as yeah. well um, <laughs> but yeah so we we're, we go pro everything which, while rubbish quality, Great. you do get an audience's view of an experience, which yeah. is really lovely. Yeah. Um, obviously, photos and stuff. And yet, when it comes to script writing, we've gotten to the point, at least with specific, uh, mm-hmm. when we do stuff like this, we have very detailed character briefs that adapt, that we make over oh, time. Okay. So, like, a character will know who they are, what their history is, what their relationship was with is with every other character, their like general backstory and all that kind of stuff. So technically, if this goes on for a long run somewhere, you can swap people in and out yeah. because the world yeah. and the mechanics, is of course, are carefully yeah. structured as exactly. well. Exactly, it's all rules mechanics. So obviously, we've already talked about uh, the Neath opening tonight, and I'm very excited. I'm going to pick up my tickets when we finish talking, and then I'm rushing off to speak to another immersive practitioner and then coming back again this evening so <laughs> it's a mad tour of the south bank for me this nice. morning this whole, today not this morning the whole of today and this yeah. evening um what's next for you so what's next the idea is that the neath is a proof of concept at this level and then we find somewhere where it can go Ooh. and be a longer run and uh explore and expand mm-hmm. and we've got some potential sites for that for later possibly in the summer and if not later in the year. Great. Um, Specific are currently working on a workshop day which will be running at the National Maritime in March which is part of my education branch. Excellent. uh, Which is going to be actually quite a few of the directors here will be leading workshops for um, students studying all forms of drama. And what's the best place for people to find out about that? Is it on the website? It will be on the website by the time this podcast is broadcast. Excellent. So if they go to the educational part of the website, they'll be able to find information. Yeah, they'll be under opportunities. Opportunities. Brilliant. I know, but it's nice to say it because people get to hear. (laughs) Um, But it'll, yeah, and it's going to be, I believe it's going to be free. Um, And yeah, and it's just literally an afternoon, one Thursday afternoon at the end, the 23rd of March. Excellent. I'm uh, to send some students your way. That's amazing, Easter, yeah. Easter break. So oh, that's yeah, yeah. Good. And all of ours are sort of London and home counties based, nice. our yeah. students. So. It should be good. Because uh, my, yeah, the dream is that 
from that we find some stage managers who we're looking at doing a longer run of mystery at the museum next year next mm -hmm. halloween or this year oh god it's this year um it's, 20, it's 2017 <laughs> yep, now it's 2017, i know i know <laughs> uh, which will be happening hopefully uh halloween so then the idea is that Great. there are stage management students who want to come back and work with us on that and as part of whenever they work with us they get workshops and all kinds of other stuff mm -hmm. kind of built into that um and what else are we working on well, I'm going to bring you back. You've mentioned yeah. it a couple of times, um, and I didn't want to say anything because yep. it's a little bit secretive, but the gunpowder plotters. The gun Do you want to talk plotters. a little bit about that? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, I when I first moved to London, I didn't know anybody. I kept rocking up to this Theatre Delicatessen's building just because I had nothing else to do. Um, and I decided to start something called Creative Chitty Chatty, which everybody hates the name, but they, you know, it did the job. I like so, it. So, yeah. <laughs> Alliteration. Who's, what's Absolutely. Who loves it? Yeah. Uh, so we, we, it was about three years ago, um, we used to meet, I think I made us meet every like two weeks or something mm -hmm. like that. We were all sitting together anyway. I just made it more formal to run through ideas and things that projects that we were working on to get feedback. Yeah. Um, and we decided last year to bring it back and make it more formal um, and a really like a, a launching point or not a launching point, just a book club, as I'm not allowed to say either because it's not <laughs> cool, but a book club for our immersive group um, to meet We've got, we ask a question every single um, week, a framing, or month, even not week. We ask a question that so drives like conversation. Club, like a yeah. Club. Yeah, yeah, a debate club. An immersive debate club. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that sounds cool, right? Um, but yeah, so we send out a framing question and discuss it. And the idea is that it's a space where we can continue to grow ourselves as artists yep. and also ourselves as an industry yep. um, and figuring out like fun ways to move forward such as the documentation that we talked about or absolutely yeah and sustainable models I mean yeah. I am not London based which has actually proven to be a nightmare trying yeah. to make immersive and interactive and one-on-one -on -one kind of work yeah. and I'm really struggling with finding a way to access a decent audience yeah. in Portsmouth and also a way to make it sustainable outside of the funding yep. bodies because unless it has very particular criteria it's not going to get arts yep. council funding either so it's great to know that the community are thinking about those sustainable models and are sharing practice because yep. quite often theatre can be really secretive when it comes to those sorts of things the things that actually matter and the things that need to be passed yep. on in order to keep going yeah and i so think we went through a phase that. where some of us were just at like the the ne brink of the next level yeah and so it got a bit like that and then we all looked around and went no what made us great and what made heist great and all of these things yeah. was the sense of community yeah. and the fact that you know if you know shit hit the fan excuse my language but if things got rough then we we knew that you could ring someone and they would immediately jump in and <coughs> help with the last get in and for instance last night well, two nights ago i was doing cutting at 11 o'clock at night John Cooper from Difference Engine just happened to be walking out of his office and I'm you're there like, cutting fabric me. and he just he, I didn't even ask I was like I'll see you later and he's like oh no I'm not leaving till you're done and just stayed and helped That's me do all great. of that kind of stuff That's and it's just this kind that. of sense of community we got the mystery at the museum thing because it was a commission that Difference Engine got that they thought or not a commission a uh, proposal and they thought this suits your your work better right. so here you yeah. go and it's really lovely to have that kind of and we all benefit community. from that kind of because like you said everyone makes such different yeah. work anyway and we're all doing quite different things but it's so lovely 
to have that kind of connection and to have that community. Yeah. And I think that is a really great model just in itself moving forward in terms of legacy because there is that sharing and because yeah. there is that passing of knowledge Absolutely. amongst the community. And I think that's so great. And yeah. that is really, and I've been to, we had an event, when was, when did, was that? Was that oh, last week or the week before? Two weeks ago, I think. It was only two weeks ago. Uh, and I thought that was fabulous and I couldn't believe how many people neither could I came. <laughs> and I couldn't believe the people I bumped into as well in terms of academics as yeah. well who were there too who'd heard about it from someone from someone yeah. from someone and I was just like this is amazing it's incredible to see all these people in one room who share yeah we tried to get interest. so it's got a core group of about 12 of us yeah and when I pick the framing question I then try to invite a few other people who will add a different perspective yeah. to that question Great. and help drive the conversation in a different way it's really lovely because we don't just have theater makers we've got producers we've got random venue people who come in Great. and it's, yeah it's just all about the perspective and moving <coughs> moving it us and as an industry forward and figuring out how yeah how to make it work really <laughs> and it's so incestuous that's what i'm finding out more and more the more and more people i talk to the more and more it's so obvious where these things have yeah. come out of and these kind of little incestuous yeah sort of like relationships and links uh and i don't mean personal relationships yeah. But yeah. <laughs> spaces and practices yeah. but it is all very much linked and in terms of thinking as a, as a cultural historian in some respects is it's so interesting to see the way that culturally those practices have become manifest and where they've yeah. kind of come from which is really exciting and it's so good that you've kind of organized this and started to get something like that together because I think it shows a really forward thinking and an open mm. kind of attitude which I think is really exciting and hopefully I'll be coming to talk to you yes, guys soon yes, yes, so uh, you'll hopefully be hearing from the gunpowder plotters which is very exciting <laughs> Well, I won't keep you for much longer because I know you're opening tonight and you've probably got wood to cut, fabric to do. Yeah, and hopefully all... none of that. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> or at least delegating. Yeah. Yes, delegating. Lots of delegating. Lots of delegating people to get things done. And we have to rush off to the Colab factory very shortly. Yep. So, um, hectic day. So, thank you so much thank you. Um, for spending time with us. If you want to know anything about everyone I've spoken to today, the best thing to do is to go to your website, am I right? Yep. Do you want to give your website address? Our if website you know is www.specific.com. .co.uk? No, .com. <laughs> Is oh. it .com or .co.uk? Oh, that's a really good question. We're going to have to check that and edit that bit out. You, uh, can, uh, you can Google. Okay. <laughs> that's my, how dead my brain is. I think it's .co.uk. I think it might be. I know ours is. I always forget. I'm well. pretty Is sure it's .co.uk. .co.uk. www.specific.co.uk and that's specific spelt with a Q, not a C. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I shall let you get on with tonight. And um, hopefully, even though you won't catch it here at the Vaults Festival, it sounds like you might have a chance to catch it in the summer. So if you are listening, keep an eye on the website and you'll be able to find out if you can come and catch the devil in these. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you. I really hope you enjoyed that birthday episode. As ever, do share, tweet, Facebook me or get in touch with me via my website, which is www.joannabucknell.co.uk. And that's Joanna with an A and Bucknell with an A. I really love to hear from everybody who's listening, whether you just want to get in touch to say hello and tell me where you're listening from. Or if you want to ask me a question, I really do love to hear from everybody. Uh, over April and May, I'm going to be producing a few more extra sodes. So do make sure that you're subscribed so that you don't miss out on any of that extra content. So to keep in touch, get on the website and find out about any news. And if you want to make sure you catch all of the extra episodes, then make sure that you're subscribed. So until next month, bye bye. <laughs>